0: Hey entrepreneurs and website owners, if you're ready to take your online presence to the next level, you need a reliable web post. And that's where HostGator comes in. HostGator is your one-stop solution for easy, affordable, and powerful web hosting. Whether you're launching a blog, an online store, or anything in between, HostGator's got you covered. Don't miss out on creating the website you've always wanted. Visit milwaukeemafia.com slash today and let your online journey begin. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Walterkins.
1: I'm Gavin Schmidt.
0: Well, what do you got for a subject today?
1: Okay, so we've got Jack Inea.
0: Which is a name I recognize. Yes,
1: he's probably come up a couple times. This brings us up to the 1950s, middle of the 1950s. All right, we'll take her away. Okay, so Jack Inea, he's born in Chicago. His father is Joe Inea. It's almost like he was born to be in the Mafia. His father was in the Mafia. His uncle was in the Mafia. He was related through marriage to some people in the Mafia, including Joe Pizza Pie in, <laughs> in, in Madison, Pete Gargano in Waukegan, and Andrew DeSalvo in
0: Racine. So he had family connections
1: all over the place.
0: And Andrew DeSalvo sounds familiar, too, as well. Uh, so, Maybe. Okay. Possible. When you say that his, his, what was it, his father and his grandfather were in the mafia?
1: His father and his uncle. I don't or, know about his grandfather. Okay,
0: so his father and his uncle were in the mafia. I'm assuming that means they were in the Chicago mafia? They, well, yeah. Okay. I mean,
1: between Chicago and Madison, they kind of floated oh, around, around a little bit.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So he grew up in Chicago and Madison. He ends up marrying a woman who is the daughter of Ross Carbone. And Ross Carbone is not really important other than the fact that he used to be a black hand letter writer from Lima, Ohio, which is the same place the black hand letter writers who were the Society of the Banana are from.
0: So he could have been in the Society of the Banana. He could
1: have been. I don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if this guy's father-in-law came out of that group.
0: Interesting. Yes. Do you want to touch on what the Society of the Banana is for those listeners that might not have remember in a very short, condensed version?
1: Yeah, sure. So Society of the Banana was a black hand group. And black hand is when you write a letter to somebody, ask for money. And if they give you the money, you leave them alone. And if they don't give you money, you might blow up their house or their business. And there was a group in Lima, Ohio, that had members that were mailing threats all over the region, Ohio, Pennsylvania, the surrounding area. And uh, for some strange reason that I don't understand, they actually wrote down some of their members in a ledger so when they finally got busted, it didn't go well for them, which the mafia would never write down their members in a ledger. So I don't know why these guys did that, but whatever.
0: And on top of that, they had the very creative name of the Society of Bananas.
1: Yes. So. Yes. All right. So Jaggy Nea, he starts out as a bootlegger during Prohibition, of course. He gets to know Vincent Krupe, who is the vice lord of Milwaukee in the 1930s. Through this, he probably meets Frank Legalvo, Vincent Krupe's nephew, because Jackie Nea and Frank Legalvo end up getting to be pretty good buddies. And Frank Legalvo, who's come up probably a dozen times mm-hmm. by now.
0: Did you say, how did he end up in Milwaukee?
1: How did Jackie Nea end up? Yeah. The... Great question. I'm not sure.
0: Okay, so we just know he was born in Chicago, but at some point in time he arrived He's in Milwaukee. He was born in Chicago,
1: he moved up to Madison, and, but by the time Prohibition came around, he had settled in Milwaukee. Okay. I don't know exactly what would have brought him there, but yeah. After Prohibition, he started a gang that called themselves the Collegiate Boys.
0: Another creative name. Yes. <laughs> what they
1: would do is they would go around to different businesses, sometimes taverns, sometimes... Uh, one time they went to the electric company, because you do, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they pull a gun and they say, we're the collegiate boys. We're just trying to work our way through college. <laughs> Give us all your money. So, and this
0: worked? This worked.
1: Yeah, they would get some money. But, uh, you know, of course, they ended up getting caught. This group of guys end up getting caught. And Jackie Naya is caught and his buddies are caught. He's got uh, Louie Maniachi's caught. Tony Clemente's caught, Dominic Pichero's caught. You don't got to worry about any of these names for now, but just these other guys in the gang, they all end up getting busted because you can't go around and use the same thing every time. (laughs) People are going to start adding it up and you get caught once and everyone is going to know that you were the same guys. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So not really a great a Strategy. Great move. Yeah. yeah. But they got around. I mean, they did it throughout Milwaukee, Waukesha, Kenosha, up to Jefferson County. So they got around in
0: the process. Do you know how long they were operating this? Like, did this last a year, five years? Uh, looks like no more than a year or two. Okay. That's what I would expect at the m- most. I think that actually for, to make it a year, they're doing pretty well. At least
1: a year, but yeah. probably not more than two. Okay. Even when they were finally caught, when they were out on bail, they continued to do it, which isn't really very smart, but they did. And on one occasion, they were actually kind of clever because they had stolen a slot machine. Like, normally they just took money. But on one occasion, they stole a slot machine. And when they got caught, they said, well, you can't really get us for theft. Slot machines aren't legal. So it's like this slot machine, like, it's not like it has any value because they can't legally sell it anyway. <laughs> Uh, The Supreme Court did not accept that. It was a good try, but they did not accept that. I mean, it's reasonable. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) So they're going in and out of prison, and uh, Jackie Naya gets out of prison. He's supposed to serve eight years. He gets out in six. He was out for one year, and he's arrested for embezzlement, so he goes back in. He's sentenced to four more years. He's out after two. He's out for another year and he's arrested for illegally selling gas coupons it's now during world war ii so he's got those gas ration coupons okay Yep. so they they convict him they allege this is probably an exaggeration but they allege that he had as many coupons as you could get a million gallons of gasoline with i find that a little that seems a a a little bit much but that was what they claimed finally four years after this He gets arrested the final time. We're now up to 1948. He's arrested the final time for being the keeper of a gambling house. A police officer went to the second floor of a tavern and signaled other cops to make a raid. 20 men are arrested, including... Jackie Nah. police seized two loudspeakers, two telephones, betting sheets, tickets, a pool table, and a card table. And I don't know, I mean, pool table's not even illegal, but I guess they took it because people must have been gambling on it. I don't know.
0: He does not sound like a very good criminal. He's not great at staying out of
1: trouble. Yes. He's got a really good paper trail, which for me is great. For
0: him, not so
1: much. For him, not so much. At this point, after he's done with this gambling business, he learns to stay out of trouble. Not that he's not causing trouble.
0: He's just not getting caught. He's not
1: getting caught. You know, so maybe he's being good. Maybe not. I don't know. He goes into the tavern business. How he's actually able to get a tavern license is beyond me, but apparently he could. So at first he goes into the tavern business at a place called the Oregon Inn, which is on South 2nd Street in Milwaukee. But him and the co-owner get in some fights, and at one point they're drinking, and they get into a fight to the point where Jack threatens his business partner with a blackjack.
0: And is that the purpose behind it, is to hit people over the head with it? Yes, that's what it is.
1: Okay. Like, if if anyone's ever (laughs) played Dungeons & Dragons, I'm I'm going (laughs) to reference Dungeons & Dragons here. But in Dungeons & Dragons, like the weapon in there, it's called a sap. In Dungeons and Dragons?
0: I do not remember this Okay,
1: it's the same thing. A sap and a blackjack are the same thing. But, I mean, I don't know who uses these anymore, but it is a thing.
0: want to go back to something you were talking about just a little bit ago where you said that he kind of, he got out of jail that last time. And then, then he just kind of stopped getting in trouble. Sure. So I just want to throw out a speculation on this, and you tell me if you think this is possible. Could it be that prior to him going to jail the last time, he was when we talked about the mafia structure? There's like the there's like the low level people, and then there like there are like his supervisors. Yeah. Could he he after he got out of prison been promoted up to that next level where now instead of him being the guy out there committing all the crimes? He's just kind of a guy in the background that's telling other people to go commit the crimes. Thus, he's no longer getting in trouble for that.
1: Really good question. That's really, really good.
0: I assume we don't don't have a way to really know. No. We we, know that people are in the mafia, but we probably don't know where, for the most part, where they fall in the structure of it, for the most part.
1: No, and I don't have an answer to that, but that's a really good speculation. I mean, that could very well be true. That he he gets a tavern, and once he's in the tavern business, he's not out there burglarizing anymore, but guys might go out and burglarize for him and then meet up at the tavern later. Yeah, yeah, that's, I don't know, but that certainly makes sense.
0: And instead of him being a member of a crew... Yeah. He has a crew instead. So that's which certainly would, possible. Which would lead you to believe that whoever his crew members were are now the ones that are getting arrested and getting thrown in jail for extended periods of time so, over and over again.
1: That's reasonable. And I
0: don't remember what episode it was and who the guy was, but we had another person that was very similar to this where. I mean, for the first 20 years or 15 years of his life, he just was in and out of jail. And then suddenly it was just like, OK, I'm done now.
1: It's a regular occurrence with a lot of these guys. You find them getting caught or at least being really stupid in like their teens and 20s. And then they just stop. And some of them, some of them are mafia guys. And some of them never get in the Like they're in the gangs, but then they never go up to the mafia level. They just decide, you know, I'm going to start a family and be a decent person.
0: Which, which is a very reasonable thing. I mean, sure. You got to figure that a certain level of those people are just going to leave that life.
1: Right. But so. it is interesting how often we see guys who are like constantly getting arrested. And then one day they're like,
0: nah, I'm done. Um, it just stops. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting.
1: Yeah. It's strange. Like when you're looking into these guys and then... You're looking up their obituary, and it's like, he was a great family man. And he was a loving grandfather. You know, of course, they don't write the bad stuff. But it's interesting to know that, like, their grandkids, that's probably what they knew. It was not that this guy was going out burglarizing places. He was probably the guy who was giving them treats every time yeah. they saw him.
0: And he was just the cool grandpa just the cool or grandpa. whatever. Yeah, so. so.
1: Well, anyway. He gets in fights with his uh, co-owner at the Oregon Inn, so he leaves, and then they don't leave on good terms, not just because of this uh, fighting, (laughs) but they then have a disagreement of who actually owns what, because Jackie Nea's like, well, you can have the business, but I still own everything in it, like, you know, the furniture, that's mine, and the guy's like, ah, no. So they leave uh, not really working their differences out. He opens his own tavern called Vicky's, and you might say, well, why would you call it Vicky's when your name is Jack? And that's because his 10-year-old daughter uh, was known as Vicky, Vicky, so he named it after his daughter, which is that's sweet.
0: Yes, that's very nice of him.
1: Yeah, so he does that. He also has a little side business where he buys wholesale food and cheese and things like that and then resells them. Which, I mean, really is the same as anybody else who runs a restaurant or bar does, so that's pretty normal.
0: So this is all above-board stuff for, for As far a, as we know, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Anything going through the tavern, there's no record of it being suspicious. Just at all. Yeah. Okay. That's a good background on who, we, who we've got here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay.
0: Because he's gonna
1: die. He's gonna <laughs> die. Life was largely uneventful until November 29th, <laughs> 1955. Jackie Nea is now 46 years old. He leaves his family home on North Jackson Street. He drives off in his son's Buick, where he drops his daughter off at school. At 7 in the morning, he stops at a service station and parks in the lot. Shortly thereafter, his friend Walter Broca sees him there, and he stops and says, Hey, do you like a cup of coffee? So they head off together, have a cup of coffee, and then they come back. At this point, Broca leaves because he's remodeling a pizzeria in town. So he's got better things to do than hang around a service station. There was a deputy sheriff there who knew Jack personally, and he later said that Jack appeared worried. He said it was strange because Jack was so quiet and in deep thought. He's usually very loud and talkative. Hmm. Jackie Nea then left the service station, again briefly meeting up with Walter Broca at the pizzeria, only for five or ten minutes. He was cheerful, this time apparently, and he talked about a court case that he was in involving worthless checks. Inea said that he had 60 or 90 days to pay the fines on these checks, but he had a promissory note for $6,100 that he was going to turn over to his attorney, who would then pass the money on. I don't know how he racked up, over $6,000 in... Bad checks, basically. Bad checks, yeah. What happened after this, we don't know. So we jump ahead one hour. Okay. A woman in rural Waukesha County, hears what sounds like gunshots around 11 o'clock that morning. When she looks out her window, she sees a Plymouth station wagon driving off. A man then drives down the road between 11.25 and 11.30. Apparently, the gunshots weren't enough for her to go out and look. 11.25 and 11.30, a man sees this uh, station wagon out there. So it's still in the area 20 minutes later. When he returns a half hour later, he sees men in work clothes at the location Maybe as many as seven or eight of them. So he thinks that's odd, but again, he kind of just drives off. Then between 1130 and noon. So now that since the gunshots, it's been at least a half an hour.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Five-year-old Dean Freeze is walking along the road to visit his grandmother when he's passed by a dark car. The dark car is in a hurry, so Dean has to move into the ditch to avoid being hit. All right, now we're to 11.50, so 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. The mailman comes by. The mailman's name is Rudy, and Rudy finds Jack Enea's body in a ditch on Plainview Road in rural Waukesha County,
0: kind of sorted by Sussex, but not really anywhere. So did the kid that had walked off into the ditch... Like first of all, how did that come into the story? Did they just find out that the kid had walked over in there and they were like, "Did you cease anything? Yeah, so
1: this is like a super scaled down version, but the police, after the fact, went around and like interviewed everybody, like within like a quarter mile of the location. so so
0: the kid, they just said, "Oh, yeah, I was there, but I never saw anything and it, right. okay. so, but then the next person finally, Saw the dead body. Finally, the mailman does.
1: He goes to a nearby home while he's delivering the mail and he calls the police. The police arrive and they find Inea's body. He has seven bullets in him wow. from a 38. Two of those are lodged in his spine. The dispatcher contacts the police who get sent out, specifically a man named Officer Rollins. He comes out and he's like, Yep, this guy is pretty dead. <laughs> So he radios back and he says, "I need camera equipment. I need the sheriff. I need the undersheriff. I need everybody out here. I can't do this by myself." So he goes and he, he takes the photos and he does all the stuff that he does. Apparently, in the in the rural area, you know, you don't have a designated detective. Mm-hmm. If you're the cop on the scene, you got to do you this do stuff. Most of this stuff. Yeah, which I don't know if the bad guys know that, but if they do, it's kind of a smart move because if you're if you got a big city and you got a detective. They're specifically trained in this. And not to say that, you know, a rural sheriff isn't trained in it, but they probably see it a whole lot less. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, they probably do one, once, twice a year or something, whereas a detective in a big city is probably constantly doing
1: it. Yeah. They took pictures of the body. They took pictures of tire tracks. Inea's body was taken away in the ambulance. Anthony Bruno is at a tavern when he hears about the shooting on the radio. Just the regular local radio. He immediately goes to Jake Inea's home and finds Inea's wife there, hysterical, not surprisingly. She had been told about the murder from a neighbor woman who heard it on the radio. So it was on the radio before People. the police ever told her. <laughs> wow. Bruno, the man who came over to comfort her, asked Joe, Nea, this is Jack's son, if you wanted to go to Waukesha, and Joe said, yeah, we'll go out in my car. So they took the keys and they drove off. Joe told the police that he had the only car in the family. Both him and his father had a set of keys, so they both used it. He didn't know who his father's business associates were. He says, well, I know my dad has a tavern, and I think he sells cheese. <laughs> Which is True. Which is true. Uh, in the past year, he could not recall the time where his father went out of town, where he didn't come home at night. He didn't think his father seemed worried or nervous. He didn't really have any idea of who could have done this. Joe, by the way, is employed as a bartender at the White Pub. So he doesn't work at his dad's tavern, which is strange, but he does work at another bar. And he worked every night from 6 until 2 a.m. So he would see his dad when he came home at 2 a.m. He would like, hey, dad, I'm home from the bar. And then he'd go to Good bed. Man. So he did see his dad the night before. Nothing seems strange. Joey Nea is going to come up in future episodes because he ends up getting into the mafia life himself. At this point... Doesn't seem like he's really in it, but he will be later. So this is not the last figure of the family. Walter Broca, the guy who Jack was hanging out with earlier that morning, he was picked up and held for questioning. He said, I don't know anything about it. I've never even shot a gun in my life. But the police were suspicious. They took his clothes from him to test for physical evidence if it had gunpowder residue or anything else on it. So they took off his clothes. They then held him in jail for over 60 hours. Holy cow. So like three days... And his attorney had to come and be like, uh, you Boy. gotta charge my guy <laughs> or let him go. So he eventually filed a writ of habeas corpus, which is saying you gotta charge my guy or you have to release him. They refused to charge him, so they had to let him go. For the record, personally, I don't think Broca was involved in the murder. They clearly thought he was the prime suspect at this point, but I don't. I don't tend to agree with that. At his funeral, at Jack's funeral, was his mother, his wife, his two sons, both of whom are going to end up in the mob business. His daughter, his brothers, his sisters, everybody is there. Roughly 100 people attend the funeral. So it's not the biggest funeral, but it's a pretty decent funeral. Police obtained a search warrant to search Jack Inea's home. Five cops went there, and they searched, and they took with them a hat, two pairs of trousers, A trench coat, 338 cartridges, 332 cartridges, a box of 2422 cartridges, a box of 2932 automatic cartridges, 15 rounds of carbine ammunition, and a carbine rifle clip. These were brought back to the Detective Bureau. But they didn't find any guns, just a whole variety of ammunition. Lab report comes back, and they said that all the bullets had been fired from a thirty eight Colt. Strangely enough, Jack Inea was known to frequently carry a thirty eight Colt. People wondered, was he shot to death with his own gun? gun? Which is possible, because no gun was found. At the end of the investigation, there was little certainty that they could know about anything. The detectives believed that a black Cadillac ultimately picked Inea up from Mob Boss Sam Ferrer's Peacock Tavern. They know that because that's where Joey Nea's Buick was found parked. So they know that was the last Let's place see. that he was. Okay. But other than that, they couldn't really figure out anything. There are competing theories about what happened. And if you want to jump in here, you can. Otherwise, I will keep going.
0: Just go ahead. I want to hear the theories, and then we can go into the questions.
1: Okay, there are two competing theories on why Jack was killed. Both of these theories involved Mob Boss John Eliotto and a man named Joe Shortino. One unidentified FBI informant speculated that the killing was ordered by John Alioto at the request of Joe Shortino. Shortino was Inea's brother-in-law and owned a bakery on Van Buren Street. Allegedly, Inea's goons, so this would actually play into your idea of him having guys under him, Inea's goons burglarized the bakery and stole $1,400. The informant believed that a black Cadillac was involved, and at least two people were used. One of them was identified as John Aiello and his brother Vito Aiello, who you may recall from earlier episodes as the grandchildren of the Guardiola family. So this was one theory, is that he had these guys burglarize his brother-in-law's bakery. Okay, and that was apparently bad enough to get him killed. The, Interesting. The other theory comes from an informant who said John Eliotto had once tried to purchase Shortino's bakery, but Shortino refused. So Alioto put pressure on Jack to pressure Shortino since they were related, and Jack resisted. Eliotto then ordered Jackie Nea killed. In this case, the killer was allegedly Vito Aiello, who disliked Jackie Nea. Because, allegedly, Jack knew about the murder of Vito's brother, Frank Ayala way back, like 20 years earlier, when we talked about, which nobody remembers on this podcast anymore. But, so, two very different theories.
0: But, did the one thing that, maybe, maybe I misunderstood you, but they both have connections to this bakery. Mm-hmm. What is the evidence that this bakery has anything to do with it?
1: Nothing. These are two different informants that are giving their okay. their idea of what happened. Why Why they both have ideas about a bakery either getting burglarized, and this is a revenge killing for the burglary, or John Aliotta wants the bakery, they refuse to sell, so Jackie is made the target, which seems... Even more of a stretch, but I'm just passing along what, what the police were told, and I, I find them both a little little flimsy, but...
0: And I, I'm just curious, because if I remember correctly, John Aliota, we've talked kind of talked about, he was pretty a pretty clean mob boss. He was, yes, right? yes. So, would he have really... I mean, obviously, we don't know, but would he have ordered somebody to be killed over the purchase of a bakery?
1: I don't know. It seems strange. Yeah. It's... Uh, there are reasons that you will get killed. That doesn't strike me he as one, one of them. them. Yeah.
0: And then the, the other theory has that he broke into this bakery and stole 1400 Well, his goons did. Yeah. And, and I'm just curious, why would you break in to somebody's bakery to steal $1,400 mm. when you know that that person might possibly be capable of killing you? Like, you know, like he knows who that person that owns that bakery is. Why wouldn't you just go down to the street and find a different bakery that's not owned by a mafia connected person and steal from that bakery? I don't know. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I like I, I find that very suspicious, but of the two, I mean, I can, I can sort of see it where like that, that of the two would be more likely, I think, to get you killed because
0: you're stealing $1,400. Yeah, because you're stealing some.
1: money from somebody you shouldn't be stealing money from. But, did, but it, did it happen? I don't know.
0: Yeah, and it just seems weird to me. Like It seems like Jackie Nea would think about this and be like, no, we're not going to go in. But maybe he did it because he was just very upset with said person that owned the bakery. Yeah, I don't know. Which, what was there's, it, his brother?
1: His brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. His, his sister's husband. So, yeah, just... There's not enough detail to really know, but they they don't sound great to me.
0: And what did you say? He got shot seven times? Something like that. That is, that's just insane. Yeah, like, it sounds like like a very very angry murder. Which neither one of those really come off as like you deserve to be shot seven times, <laughs> right? <laughs> to me, like right. that sounds like something when you're really deep into something and up to something bad, right? So, I don't know. That's interesting. Is there more to it? Yeah, a little bit
1: more. So later on, many years later, there was a third theory. Okay. And this is the best one of the three. Okay. Later on, FBI informants said that what had actually happened was that Jack Inea, John Detropany, and Frank Legobo were all buddies. And they were young guys who didn't like the mob leadership. So they were being noisy and saying... They wanted to take over the leadership from John Alioto, And this didn't go very well. John Detropany, as we know, is killed. Jack Inea is now killed. And Frank Legelbo, although he gets to stay in Milwaukee, they actually kick him out of the mafia. And the only reason he's not killed is because he's got friends in Chicago who say, please don't don't kill him we'll make sure he's good
0: yeah and you kill him, we might something bad might happen to you yeah or something like that now that that one seems and just based on the profile in our one of our previous episodes you created of john alioto yeah that seems like a reason why he might have somebody killed right i think but,
1: i think this makes more sense
0: yeah but any of the other theories just it doesn't mean well the other i guess the other one didn't really involve john alioto right the first theory.
1: Not so much. much. I, mean, I mean yeah, he comes up but
0: Yeah. But I mean that it yeah, I would say that that's probably the most rock uh, solid theory.
1: And uh and spoiler alert for people, Frank Legalbo is going to die in nineteen seventy-six. <laughs> so not this is nineteen fifty five. He's got a good twenty, 20 years, years left, left. But he is gonna die. die.
0: <laughs> so they're all they all get it eventually, huh? Yep. Interesting. One
1: more piece. Okay. Jack Inea's son, Joe who we talked about briefly, ends up marrying Frank LaGobo's sister, Frances. So that's how close these guys are, is the one guy's son marries the other's sister. Mm -hmm. Joe ends up becoming a bartender in various nightclubs and taverns owned and operated by mob boss Frank Balistrieri. Joe went through the rest of his life knowing... That his employers were probably some of the same men who ordered his father killed. (laughs) Both Joe and his brother Russell will appear in future stories because they both get involved in some mafia stuff.
0: And being that Joe and the other brother get involved in the mafia would lead you to believe that, like, even though Joe said, I have no idea what my dad could have done to get for somebody to want to kill him. Right. But he must have known that his father was into this mafia thing because obviously his father in some way probably pulled him into this life. Right. Yeah, it's it's
1: hard to say what he did or didn't know. But so if it isn't already obvious, like I I have the police report. Mm -hmm. So I know what he said in the interviews. And Joe really plays dumb. When he's talking to the police for a guy you know who his father's been killed you'd think he'd go out of his way to like get this solved and yeah he's just like i don't know i don't uh-huh. know nothing and do i think that he knows who killed his dad probably not but i don't believe for a second he didn't know some of the shady crap his dad yeah, was, was up it? to
0: he could probably have narrowed it down to five people <laughs> oh. he probably knew enough Because I would almost assume he was a bartender at that point in time. So he's probably old enough where he could have even been one of these goons that was working for his dad.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's one of these. He's only in his 20s at this point. So he's still young. But yes.
0: But he's probably. He could have. I'm not saying that he was, but he could very well have been one of those goons if he even did have the goon. Because all we have on that is that an informant said he had a team of goons. Right. So. Wow. And that's really funny that you. Then following, just forgive everybody for killing your father, and just go right into the same line. It's
1: it's really weird, and he's never he's I mean he'll come up in the future, but he's never really like known as a violent guy or anything like that. I mean he primarily works as a bartender. He's a pretty clean guy, as far as anybody knows. But yeah, the fact that he continues to associate with that crowd is odd to yeah me.
0: but i you know they might have already had a hold on him where he couldn't get out yeah
1: and he does end up joining the mafia later so hey you know i whatever like <laughs> i guess
0: well i guess that's so that's going to be the final death for for now for, now, for the next four weeks and then, of course, yeah. Gavin lets out the secret that, well, and when we come back, people might not die.
1: Well, okay. <laughs> so the first one, when we come back, technically nobody dies. But it's about a parole scandal, and the guy on who's trying to get out on parole is in there for murder. So we do have, we do do have, have murder a murder that gets <laughs> mentioned. And it's a murder we haven't even talked about yet in this series, so... (laughs) Yeah, somebody somebody does die, (laughs) kind of. We're not going to really go into detail about it.
0: All right, cool. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this one. Unless you got anything else you want to... Walter?
1: No, that's it. And one more thing I should add. The reason that we're stopping here for the break is because this is like the end of the stuff that's based off of the Milwaukee Mafia book. That's why this was chosen as the end. So the, the stuff we do when we come back it's basically fresh material. material. It's stuff that's not in any of the books and things like that. So as much as I love promoting the book, it's like hey, you want to know more? Go buy the book. This will actually be stories that have not been published previously going forward.
0: He's just setting it up for the Milwaukee Mafia part 2 book to come out. So, hey, you, you know, guys you are maybe You guys are getting a sneak peek at the Maybe the, so,
1: but yeah, so definitely some stories that are even less told than the stories that have, we've already done because they're not they're not really out there.
0: Do you want to talk a little bit about so for the next because there is going to be something dropped for the next Four weeks while we're off, correct?
1: Yes, my understanding is that our producer... Our producer. Our producer has taken clips from our Patreon. Producer here, quote-unquote... Since the recording of this particular episode, Gavin has secured an interview with Justin Cassio from Mafia Genealogy. Justin has an exciting journey to talk about where he maps his family roots back to Italy and finds Italian heritage that includes the Mafia. Please tune in to listen to Gavin talk with Justin from Mafia Genealogy. And just, they're just samples. I mean, if you want the that premium Patreon <laughs> content... You got to pay our steep $2 a month fee, <laughs> but there will be some snippets. So we're not leaving you high and dry. You get a little sample of what kind of nonsense we get into on the Patreon where it isn't, we don't typically do full stories. We'd more or less kind of go off on tangents about questions related to the material, how the material is gathered and just more general questions. So Hopefully, what's put together will give you an idea and make you actually want to listen to it because... I don't know about the listeners, but I think, I speak for Eric here, that for the recording, it's the most fun thing that yeah, we do to record. it's
0: the most casual thing, and it's just, yeah, it's 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 a lot more banter than actual material. Yeah. Which, if you don't want to hear me talk, you probably <laughs> don't want to listen to the Patreon, because I think it's like a 50-50 split. Which it's definitely the episode, much closer, yeah, yeah. Where the other episodes are, you know, like, more like 80-20 or something like that. So, mm. But yeah, so stay tuned for that. That'll be coming out in the next... Four weeks. We will be back after that with fresh, fresh content. Yep. And Gavin, if you want to do the normal contact stuff yeah uh, if
1: you want to email me it's milwaukee mafia gmail.com the website is milwaukee mafia.com uh, it's a fantastic website and uh, a lot of people still contact me through Facebook which is facebook.com Milwaukee Mafia and Facebook actually got smart and it used to be really hard for me to find my messages to the author page so I set up this this automatic response thing. but they changed their programming so I actually get notified of my author
0: messages now. Good job, Facebook. Yeah, it
1: took them how many years to figure out how to reroute this to my regular account, but they did it, so.
0: Awesome. And as usual, if you enjoy this podcast, leave us feedback on your favorite podcast player. And as always, if Gavin's little speech about the Patreon made you curious, you can go to Milwaukee Mafia. There's a banner right there on on the thing to click on to join the Patreon. Otherwise, you can go to what is it? Patreon.com slash Milwaukee Mafia. I think that's right. Yeah. And sign up there as well. And thank you all for tuning in and your continued support. We will be back with a new episode next, or a new Patreon next week. But yeah, thanks everybody and have a good one. Yep. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.